Uh, let's keep the Browns in our, in our prayers, and uh, that's a great update, Colin. Thank you, man, so much. And you know, the cool thing is that update actually ties us into what we're going to talk about in the next two weeks. And so if you've got a Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 4. Uh, you know, Eric and uh, his family and the missionaries that are a part of the ministry in Northern Ireland uh, have been trained in how to share the gospel, how to evangelize, how to, how to move people from a, a friend relationship uh, to a faith relationship and then biblical fellowship after they receive Christ. They've, they've been trained in strategic evangelism and discipleship, and, and that's cool because it actually works. It works here, it works in Ireland, and, and, and that's the pattern that God's given us. And so in John chapter 4 this morning, we're going to start a couple of weeks series on this idea of evangelism and multiplied ministry. And so this morning, the message is entitled, The Must of Multiplying Ministry. The Must of Multiplying Ministry. Because the truth is that we must do what God's called us to do. And, and so as we get into the passage in John chapter 4, some of you that have read the Bible, you already know kind of maybe where uh, this, this sermon is going. That's okay. I invite you not to go to sleep. Uh, don't check out. You need to hang around for a minute. Uh, we want to we talk about multiplying ministry because that's what Christ has called us to do. And I want to just set the preface for the next two weeks this morning with a couple of key uh, observations from the Bible. And so bear with me as, as we kind of begin the introduction. I want you to understand that biblically, God has created a principle of propagation. And what I mean by that is in God's Word, God is always all about reproduction, and, and we get that all the way back from the book of Genesis. As a matter of fact, in Genesis chapter 1, many of you have read the, the, the recreation account of Genesis 1 and verse 11. God said, let the, bring, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, the fruit, she, fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. And so, and so from the very beginning, we see that God himself is a God of, of reproduction. He, he's established principles of being fruitful and multiplying and replenishing. And that even included like the grass and the herbs and the fruit trees. There's a seed that God put in fruit and, and herbs and grass that carries with it the capability to reproduce and multiply, right? We, we see that from the very beginning. And so, and so the second principle in your notes is this, God has given us seed that is able to reproduce life. And, and so listen, if you, if you, any of you like grapes, any, any grape people in there, a couple of you, okay, do you buy the, the seedless grapes or the seeded grapes? Which ones? Of course, man, you sissies, man, you're breaking God's pattern because, because, because God put that seed in there as, a, as, a, as the opportunity and the potential to create life and reproduction. And, and you know, we, we unfortunately like our grapes like we like a lot of other things. No offense. Not the way that God designed it. No offense. I don't care if you eat seedless grapes, man. It's easier. It saves your teeth, right? Uh, does anybody know what a muscadine is or a scuppling? You know what I'm talking about? You're my people. Okay, yeah. Like Laura's like lighting up. Yeah, let's go, man. Okay. So when I was a kid, right, I, I would go, uh, my, gra- my grandmother and my great-grandmother uh, were amazing. They, they had like uh, you know, blueberry trees and like blackberry. I could go out into their like yard and garden and just like feast. You know, it wasn't the Garden of Eden, but it was close. And so they had these muscadines or these what we called scuplins or whatnot. And uh, you know, you had to you got to do it just right. You got to squeeze that thing in, and and then you got to kind of suck the, the the meat of that thing between your teeth to get the seeds out. You know what I'm talking about? Any, anybody know what I'm talking about? 
and then you spit the seeds out or whatever, or if you're smart, you hang on to them and try to plant it again. Man, God, God has given us things that have the seed that's able to reproduce life. And, and we know that is certainly true in, in plant world, right? And, and it's certainly true in humanity, you know? So, so when we study the Bible, there's a parable of the seed and the sower. It's an agricultural uh, parable, Luke chapter 8, verse 11, many of you know the story. It says the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. And that seed gets sown into a field, and by the grace of God, it takes root and it reproduces life. And so, and so the seed of God's word is able to reproduce life. 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse 23 says that we, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And so God's word... God gives you all of those things in nature and in humanity to help you understand that a seed carries with it the, the ability to reproduce life. And, and God's intention is reproduction. It's, it's multiplication and reproduction for the glory of God, which leads us to the last premise as we begin. God has given us a commission to complete, and, and we need to understand that God's desire is being fruitful and multiplying and replenishing the earth, not with, with, with you know, grass and herbs and fruit trees, but with the souls of men, with the sons of God. John 15 and verse 8 says, Herein is my Father glorified. And listen, every person in this room and every person watching online should ask the question, how does God get the glory out of my life? How can I glorify God with my life? Well, Christ gives us the answer in John 15. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. And every believer in Christ needs to, to, to deal with the tension of what God has ultimately called us to do with our life. It's to bear fruit for His glory. And by the way, it proves the, tr the truth that we really are a disciple of Christ. And so listen, that's not just for first century disciples. You say, well, that's a first century context for those 12 following Christ. If you study the word disciple, it's used all the way through to the end of the book of Acts and includes both Jew and Gentile believers. And so that, that, that term disciple, the follower of Christ, man, is called and commissioned to bear fruit. And that's how God gets glory out of our life. And so with that being said, and in John chapter 4, we're going to take this morning a quick trip to Samaria. And the good news is this morning that you don't need a passport, a plane ticket, or to pack a bag. Because I noticed in the room you didn't bring your luggage today, but that's okay. God's Word transcends time and it transcends geography. So we all can get the goods this morning from Samaria while we're enjoying our coffee in church, okay? You guys, you guys cool with that? So let's look at John chapter 4, and we're going to read a few verses. We'll pray and then we'll get what we need to get from the Word. John chapter 4, verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour, and there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink, for his disciples were gone away unto the city 
to buy meat. Let's pray together. Father, we, we need you this morning. God, thank you for the update uh, from the Brown family and from the, the team in Belfast. God, I pray that your, uh, Lord, your Holy Spirit just continues to, to convict hearts and, and open hearts and ears to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for their faithfulness. Lord, protect their families as they seek to bring you glory through preaching the gospel and making disciples. And uh, Lord, what an amazing thing that, that helps us understand what we're going to talk about today. Uh, Lord, the must that's necessary uh, to reproduce ministry. And so, Lord, speak to us, God. We, we come humbly before your word today and just trust that your Holy Spirit will, will speak to us and equip us, Lord, to be better disciples of Christ so that, that you can get maximum glory out of our life. God, we love you. We give you this time. We ask it in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. By God's grace, we'll, we'll get through the passage today. I want to just give you a little bit of uh, backstory to the story. You know, each of the gospel accounts in the New Testament, the gospel accounts of Jesus Christ, have a very unique and specific purpose. And, and I want you to understand that the gospel of John is no different. As a matter of fact, at the end of the gospel of John, John tells us the reason and the purpose in which his epistle was written. John chapter 20 and verse 30 says this, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Okay, so, so in other words, John is just going on record and saying everything that Jesus did, we didn't write it down. I didn't write it down. But, verse 31, these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. And, and, and so John's gospel is to reveal Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And, and because of that, the intention of the things mentioned in John's gospel are written so that you believe that, so that you can have eternal life. And then once you believe that, you keep believing it, even after you believe it. And so John has a very specific purpose in his writings. These signs are for your belief. Again, first century context, it was for the Jews because the Jews require a sign, right? First Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 22, doctrinally. But devotionally, we have the book of John so that we can understand that Christ is the Son of God. Now, historically, at John chapter 4, we find, that John, we find that Jesus Christ is going back to Galilee, but he's going to go right through the middle of Samaria. And, and so historically, that's what's happening. We can track his movement through the early chapters of the book of John. Doctrinally, you need to know that Samaria is a key city. And, and the reason that God wanted Christ to go back through Samaria, and if you've studied the Old Testament, you know that in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, the kingdom of Israel, was divided into a northern tribe or northern kingdom of ten tribes and a southern kingdom, and that northern kingdom had its capital as Samaria. And you can go through the book of Kings and you can read all about the history, but just know that Samaria had a key point in biblical history concerning the nation of Israel, and God is really interested in restoring the nation of Israel, if you, if you haven't read Romans 9, 10, and 11. God's going to restore that nation, and He's going to restore all of it. And part of the restoration is, is, is Samaria and its association uh, with, with the Old Testament kings of Israel, who all were evil and wicked, by the way. Man, man the kingdom split, 
these these evil kings set up their their capital in Samaria, and king after king, man, you find that they're in Samaria, ruling from Samaria, dying, being buried in Samaria. That's part of the northern kingdom. And so so Christ shows up in Samaria in John chapter 4. It says he must needs go through Samaria, and he goes to a place called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. And again, you can study a little bit of history. Genesis chapter 33, uh, many people feel like the modern day Sychar in John 4 is connected to Shechem in the Old Testament. And and that's a place that Jacob bought, a a parcel of ground that he bought and he gave to his children. You see it in Genesis 33 where he acquired that piece of land. But then in Joshua chapter 4, he gave that inheritance to his son Joseph. Joshua 24, verse 32. I think I've got that one on the screen. It says, The bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel brought up out of Egypt, buried they in Shechem in a parcel of ground, which Jacob bought from the sons of Hamar, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of silver, and it became the inheritance of the children of Joseph. And if you go back to John 4 and verse 5, Christ is going to a parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And that parcel was in Samaria. And again, man, doctrinally, God is is showing us that he's going to restore not just Jerusalem and Judea, but he's going to restore all of the tribes of Israel, including the ten tribes that broke away and that all of their kings were wicked and evil. And And so listen, God wants those in Samaria to believe who he is. And, and, and man, God doesn't do anything by accident. And we're going to see some really cool stuff in a minute, but I just want you to know doctrinally that's where that's at, man. Samaria, uh, God intends to restore that portion of the kingdom. But now devotionally, we want to look at this and look at it from, an, from a, a lens of evangelism and mission because there is a key appointment that God has to make in John chapter 4. It says in verse 7 that there cometh a woman to draw water in John chapter 4 verse 7. And Jesus said to her, give me to drink. And and many of you, again, man, if you've been around the Bible, you've studied this story. Christ said he must needs go to Samaria. Why? Doctrinally, he, he must go to restore all of Israel. Devotionally, he must go because there's a divine appointment waiting. And, and he has something to offer even to the Samaritans that need it. And so this morning, we're going to talk about the must of ministry multiplication, and we're going to look at it through the lens of evangelism and ministry. And we're going to learn some principles this morning that will help us understand how to bring God maximum glory through our life, because he says if we bear much fruit, that's how we prove that we're his disciples. You guys okay with that? So number one, here's here's some things I think that'll help us as a church and help us individually as Christians in our walk with God. Number one, concerning the ministry of evangelism, Jesus settled the issue of priority. He settled the issue of priority. As a matter of fact, if you go back to John 4 and verse 4, the Bible says, and he must, he must needs go through Samaria. And that word must in the Bible is a powerful word. It means something is essential, it's obligatory, it's necessary. It's required. It's not optional. In other words, Christ made the decision. He settled his mind. 
I must go through Samaria. It was not optional. And we've already said, and we'll say it again before we're done, that he did that because he was going to restore the Samaritans, the, the half-tribes or half-breed Jews, the, the divided kingdom. He's going to restore them. But, but listen, he, ha, he had a principle of priority that can't, be, that can't be overlooked. Christ was a man of intentionality. And, and listen, when you study that little, little word must through the Scripture, there's a lot to be said. We don't have the time for all of it, but I would encourage you to do the work. Matthew 16 and verse 21, the Bible says that from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and then be raised again on the third day. Do you know that Christ considered his work on the cross of Calvary something that must be done? And aren't you thankful for that? Listen, because if Christ had the potential to just maybe do it, or I might do it, well, that doesn't secure your salvation. The reason your salvation is secure is because Christ settled the issue of priority. I must go to Jerusalem and suffer and be killed and be raised again. It was a priority. Mark chapter 8 and verse 31, he began to teach them, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And, and so thank God that Jesus Christ is a man of priority. Thank God that Christ settled the issue of priority in his life and his ministry concerning the cross, but he also settled it concerning Samaria. Now here's the reality and here's the application for us. Sadly, must for many Christians has been replaced with might. Instead of having the mentality that I must go, it has turned in our life into I might go or I won't go. I might go if I feel like it. I might go if I have time. I might go if I'm having a good day that day. I might go if I'm really excited about it. I might go if I, 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 no offense, <laughs> some of us haven't settled the issue of priority in our life because, because our walk with God is not a must, it's still a might, it's a maybe. Our, our obedience is based on a maybe instead of a must. Our commitment to the mission is is based on a might or a maybe or conditional instead of an obligatory necessity. So, so listen, here's this key in your notes. Christ, for Christ, for Jesus Christ, going to Samaria was necessary to fulfill prophecy. And again, God's going to restore the Samaritans. There's a ton of things we can talk about in that. But it, but it was necessary for him to fulfill prophecy concerning the Old Testament and the restoration of Israel. But for you and I, going is necessary to fulfill our purpose. You must get this principle down, if I can use the vernacular. You must get this down. Because if you don't get this down, if we don't collectively as a church get this down, man, we will go week to week, month to month, year to year, maybe doing what God has asked us to do. 
and maybe, maybe somehow working toward the mission that God's called us to do instead of must doing it. So Matthew chapter 21, you know, God gives us a, a story in Matthew chapter 21. It's one of my favorite stories. There's a lot of favorite stories. I hope you have favorite stories in the Bible. There's just a lot of them that are, that are amazing. They're, it's all amazing. But there's just some that I keep going back to personally. And Matthew 21 is one of them, verses 28 to 31. Christ says, but what think ye? A certain man had two sons. And he came to the first and he said, son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. And he went not. Two sons, same charge, same commission, same instruction from the father. One said, I'm not going to do it. But he repented and then he went. The other one said, yeah, dad, I'm going to go. And he never went and worked in the vineyard. And the question Christ asks is, which of the twain, which of the two, did the will of the Father? And they said to him, the first one. And of course, Jesus is talking to some religious leaders, man. He says, verily I say to you that publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. Why? Because they had the issue of priority settled. They had the issue of priority settled in their life. There is something I must do that my Father wants me to do. And so I'm going to submit to his will and bring him the maximum glory. You know, for us, we have to ask the question if we've settled the issue of priority. And no offense, it's a, it's a yes-no answer. You're not maybe focused on what God has for you. You either are or you are not. It's a yes-no. Priority brings us through places that, that aren't our culture, that aren't comfortable, that, 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 that may be inconvenient, and we're going to talk about all these things, man, but can I just tell you, priority puts you on the right purpose for your life. It doesn't happen by accident. It happens with intentionality. So number two, what we see is that Christ crossed the boundaries, boundaries of geography. Because he had the right priority, he was willing to cross through some boundaries that were obviously obstructions to the ministry. The Bible says in verse 4 that he must needs go through Samaria. Now again, Galilee is in northern Israel. That's where he was headed. Judea is in southern Israel. That's where he was. And Samaria is right in the middle. And historically, the Jews would have actually taken a longer route to go around Samaria to get to Galilee if they were going to Galilee or, or from Galilee if they were going to Judea. They would have went around Samaria. How do you know that? John chapter 4 and verse 9. The woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which I'm a woman of Samaria? The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So, so we already know that there's, there's, a, there's a geographical boundary, and this woman even recognizes it when Christ shows up. It's kind of like, bro, what are you doing here? Did you take a wrong turn? Right? I mean, it's like we have no dealings with each other, and yet Christ said... He must needs go through Samaria. Okay, and again, man, if we, if we had the time, John chapter 2, in, in the book of John, we find that he was in Jerusalem. In John chapter 2 and verse 23, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover. But then in John chapter 3, he's in the land of Judea. That's very interesting. And then in John chapter 4 and verse 4, he's in Samaria. 
And then in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 15, you find that he's in Galilee of the Gentiles. And, and I don't know if you've read the Bible, but that, that progression of Christ's movement early in the book of John points us to his ministry method that we even find in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Christ moved according to the pattern that he ultimately would give us to accomplish the mission. Acts 1 and verse 8, but ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, uttermost part of the earth, to the Gentiles. And, and, and so listen, Christ operated strategically, surgically, specifically. The, the, the route to Samaria was intentional because he'd already been in Jerusalem and Judea, and now Samaria was the next, it was the next step. And so listen, for us, we need to understand to accomplish the mission and we're going to have to cross lines of geography. Now for some of us, for some of us in this room, the first barrier that we're going to have to overcome is our garage door. The, the, the first thing that you and I are going to have to get past that is a limit to the effectiveness that God wants to use us to accomplish is our garage door because what we do is, truthfully, we go home, we hole up inside, we shut the door, and we protect everybody inside from that nasty outside world. And yet God says, that's actually the world I want you to reach with the gospel. So instead of being a change agent, we become closed-door Christians. Now listen, I know you got out of the garage to come to church today, and I'm thankful that you're here. And I hope you come back tonight so we can eat some chicken wings together. But, but listen, many times as Christians, we're guilty of coming to church and then running home and shutting the door until the, the, the church opens again, and then we come back to church, and then we run home and shut the door. And, and we have a barrier of geography, and we must needs break through that barrier. That may start with you learning your neighbor's names. It, it may start being intentional to, to see your job differently. It's not just a job, but it's a field to work in. It's an opportunity to engage with people in prayer that a gospel conversation can happen. And some of us need to go on a mission trip. And you won't really appreciate what God is doing in this world until you see it firsthand. Unless you have enough faith to just believe the Bible, many of us don't, you need to get on a plane and go. You say, well, I can't afford to go to Zambia. Go to Boston. Go to Ireland. Go to Malawi. Go anywhere. Man, when you break the barrier of geography, you understand that the greater need in this world is for you to be active in the gospel. For you to be a change agent, to be used by God. But man, it's going to cost you something. There's going to have to be a, a priority in your life. I must go. Because might is not going to reach the world. Maybe is not going to reach the world. And I don't know if you've noticed, man, the clock's ticking. And we don't have much time. And so Christ goes. And he settles the issue of priority. And he settles the issue of geography. And he says, okay, you know what? I know what most Jews do. They go around Samaria. i got to go through it. I must go. Number three, when, when Christ gets there, and again, this is all practical evangelism stuff. Listen, when Christ get there, gets there, he connects with people cordially. He connected with this woman cordially. 
Look at verses 6 and 7. It says, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Pay attention to that. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said unto her, give me to drink. And, and maybe you've read that or you've heard that story, and you say, man, what a jerk. <laughs> like, I mean, Jesus just shows up. He's so demanding, like, good grief, needy. I mean, what in the world? Uh, uh, so, so maybe you think that's rude or you think that's inappropriate, and that's okay. You would think like that if you don't study the Bible. But actually, it's a very culturally appropriate request. As a matter of fact, you see this over and over in the Scripture. For example, Genesis chapter 24, when Abraham's servant was sent to get a wife for his son. In Genesis 24 and verse 17, he's going to, to uh, his father's people to, to seek out a wife he says in Genesis 24 and verse 17, the servant ran thither, uh, ran to meet him, Abraham's servant, and said, uh, let me, I pray thee, drink a little water out of thy pitcher. So the servant asked this woman, hey, will you give me a drink? And she said, drink, my Lord. And she hasted and let down her pitcher upon her, her hand and gave him to drink. And, and if you know the story, man, it worked out really good for Rebecca because, man, she got she got married in with Abraham and Isaac, you know what I'm saying? I mean, so, 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 like, so like it worked out really good. God changed her life through a cup of water, through a, through a willingness. And, and again, culturally, it's absolutely appropriate to ask for that at a well from a woman that's drawing water. When Elijah went to Zarephath in 1 Kings 17 and verse 10, it says, He arose and he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow woman was there gathering sticks and he called her and said, fetch me, I pray thee, a little water and a vessel that I may drink. Very appropriate. Nothing culturally wrong with that. It's not a, it's not a power trip. It's not Christ being a jerk. It's, it's absolutely what the culture does. What's unique about this story is that when Christ meets her, he meets her at a very specific time. The Bible says that he met her at the sixth hour. The sixth hour would have been high noon. It would have been the middle of the day. It would have been the hottest part of the day. And again, if you study the Bible, it's very interesting. That's not when people, women especially, go out and normally draw water. If you go back to Genesis 24, the Bible says that he made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of the evening when it's not hot. Even the time when women go out to draw water. So why is this woman at the well in the middle of the day? Well, because uh, she had some issues. But you know what? Christ was willing to meet her. And by the way, when he met her, he didn't treat her any different than he would have treated anybody else. He was cordial. And, and listen, he knew everything about her, just like he knows everything about you. And yet... He connected with her on a personal level in a way that was absolutely appropriate for that culture and for that time. So here's the, here's the key, just practically. Look, you and I have to be intentional to meet people in the course of everyday life. I don't know why we think that we have to have a certain night to go out and, and be evangelistic. No offense, man. If, if any church has done that in the past, look, we, you know, whatever. I've, I've done that in the past, but, but I don't understand how we reserve the ministry to one night a week for two hours, you know, and there's some strategy, of course, we could talk about and all those different things, 
But listen, can I just tell you that disciples of Christ ought to be intentional to meet people in the course of everyday life. Who is it that God is going to bring me in contact with today in the course of my life that possibly needs to hear the gospel? And when I meet them, can I actually connect with them on a personal, relational level just like I would anybody else? You know, some of us struggle with relationships. Hello? Uh, We struggle even answering (laughs) sometimes. (laughs) Man, we struggle with relationships. And, And no offense, man, this city is full of people that don't know how to have relationships. We don't even know how to treat each other cordially, culturally. And, you know, I hope you don't feel like that this morning in church, but, man, we, we try. But, man, I've been around this city for a minute. It is interesting. People are weird. I mean, they're all not here. I mean, you guys are fine, of course, but, but it's all those other people that are weird. Well, you got a weird pastor, so we're all going to be weird. Whatever. Can I just tell you that, that you don't have to get on a boat or, or get on a plane or, or go halfway across the world. Man, you can be intentional right here, right now. You can be intentional in the course of your life And you can be cordial with the people that God has put into your life, no matter what their problems are. Because ultimately, we all need Christ. Okay, so number four, Christ, when he begins this conversation, he deals with confrontation calmly and correctly. Because listen, this this thing didn't didn't stay passive for long. It, it, It actually escalated pretty quick. I mean, all he did was ask for water, which was appropriate. And man, she fires the first shot. Does that make sense? Like she comes after him. Okay, so look at verse 9. Then said the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. Again, did you take a wrong turn, bro? Like you done rolled up in the wrong hood, man. What are you doing? You're at the wrong well at the wrong time with the wrong lady. What are you doing? And Jesus answered her and said, Unto her, if thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith unto thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. So again, just a principle of, of, of ministry. Listen, learn to deal with confrontation calmly and correctly. You know what Christ didn't do? He didn't say, Yeah, you know what? I am a Jew. And we got it all figured out, and you don't, man, you're a bunch of idiots. Have you read your history? He didn't do that. He didn't attack her personally. He didn't attack her culturally. He was able to deal with confrontation calmly and correctly. And so here are the things that came up, and this isn't all exclusive, but number one, Christ was able to deal calmly with the issue of culture. Can you? Can can you connect and, and calmly and cordially engage in other people that aren't like you? I mean, here's a Jew, and here's a woman of Samaria. And can you break through that barrier of culture and connect with people? You're going to have a really hard time winning people to Christ if you can't. And by the way, if your culture is more important to you than what the Word of God says, you already have a problem. Man, some of us love our culture more than we love Christianity and more than we love the Bible. And, and I'm telling you, man, that's, that's messed up because when you're positioned about a king and a kingdom, which, which is what this book is about, And your culture really isn't relevant. It doesn't matter. It's about Christ and his kingdom glory. And so Christ was able to overthrow and break through this barrier of culture. Number two, he's able to break through the barrier of gender. I mean, here's a man that's talking to a woman. And and we had this discussion this week during discipleship. 
This woman was probably a lot older than him. When you, when you read the, the, the stuff that she reveals and, and what Christ knows about her, having five husbands and, and now with somebody else, it's potent, possible that she was older than him. Here's an unmarried man speaking to a woman who had been married and now living in sin, and it's a man and a woman, and, and yet there's this issue of gender, and yet God was able to work through that to get the gospel to her. Number three, there was an issue of physical need versus spiritual need. And Christ had to help her understand, I know you need water, but that's not really what you need. Look at verse 11. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? You see, this woman's understanding was limited to physical water. That's all she could understand. And a physical well, and a physical means of acquiring that water. She wanted physical relief for herself. That's why she brought a water pot to the well. But can I just tell you, Christ was able to see beyond her physical need. And as ministers, we have to understand many times it is the physical things in life that create the need, but also reveal the deeper need of spiritual needs in our life. And you need to be aware of that. You need to be a good minister so that you know, and your issue is real. But that's not really your issue. You know, what's interesting is if, if you've read this story, that water pot got left empty at the well. She walked away from it because she found something that was better. She found the living water. And I think for us, man, we have to understand as ministers, as disciples of Christ, we have to, to learn how to deal with confrontation calmly and collectively. We, we have to understand culture and, and the barriers that we're going to have to go through, the physical need versus the spiritual need. He had the issue of heritage that he had to deal with because in verse 12, she brings up their history. She, said, she asked Christ, are thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? I mean, she's like, who are you, bro? I mean, do you? Have you heard of Jacob? <laughs> I mean, he's the one that gave us this well. Jesus answered and said, Whosoever drinketh of this water, Jacob's well, shall thirst again. But whosoever shall drinketh the water I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be a well in him, a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And, and so what's interesting is that she goes back to her heritage. Our father, Jacob. She tied her people and her heritage and her history Back to Jacob. And so it was an important part of her life. And people's heritage is an important part of their life. You know that. I mean, all of you probably know in some form or fashion your descendants, your history. Maybe you've done the Ancestry.com thing. Maybe you figured out where you come from. Listen, it is important and impactful. And listen, if you're going to reach people, you have to understand that. And understand how to talk through that. And have those discussions. And then, and then ultimately, this thing kind of crescendos with the issue of religion, right? The issue of religion. Because listen, when he finally gets down to the brass tacks and, and starts dealing with her personally and her, her specific need and her sin, well, what pops into the conversation immediately? Religion. And that's the way it works. That's just the way it works, man. So, so verse 20 she says, our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and ye say that Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. 
So it's a, it's, a, it's a conversation over worship. It's a conversation over religion. Who's right? Here's what we teach. Here's what you teach. Well, okay. Two things that are different can't be the same. So somebody's probably wrong, right? Verse 21, Jesus said to the woman, Believe me, the hour cometh, and yet, uh, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. And so, man, again, uh, <laughs> this issue of religion pops up. When you begin to engage people with the gospel, when you begin to build relationships, this is an area you're going to have to learn to talk through. Christ had moved this conversation from external things, wells and water, to internal things, eternal life, so that this woman can experience some eternal things. And and listen, many times that's the way the conversation has to go. You can begin a conversation talking about external things, external needs, but at, at some point it has to move to internal needs that are truly the real needs so that people can have eternal life. And so Christ does that. He, he, he is able, he's given us a pattern of how to do that. And then number five, Christ convicts her of her sin. And by the way, Christ only is the one that can do that. That's not your job to convict of sin. That's Christ and the Holy Spirit's job to do that. Look at verse 15. The woman said to her, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And Jesus said to her, go call thy husband and come hither. So she's interested in what Christ is offering, but now he has to deal with her situation and her sin. He says, go call thy husband and come hither. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that sayest thou truly. And Christ begins to deal with, with her personally. Listen, the light of God begins to manifest the darkness of sin. And and that happens in all of our life, right? I mean, listen, you got saved because the gospel of Jesus Christ shone into your heart and revealed the fact that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Now, if you didn't understand that or or make that connection, uh, the truth is you may be religious but not saved. This woman realized who she was and who she was talking to. Truthfully, this woman either had a history of, you know, being a black widow, like everybody she married died, maybe. Maybe she was a polygamist. In other words, she had multiple husbands in the past, all at once. Whatever it is, she was a, whatever she was in the past, she was a fornicator in the present. She was not married to the man that she was with. And Jesus dealt with her right there, right where she was, and right with her current circumstances. And listen, what's interesting is she didn't even need a theological discourse on what marriage was or wasn't. She knew. Because God has given us a conscience. God has given us His Word. God is able through His Holy Spirit to help us understand that, man, we are a sinful, broken people. And when the light shines in our life, man, it manifests the darkness of our sin. Christ did that. He helped her understand right where she was and that her real need wasn't physical water. She actually wanted the living water so that she would never have to come to that well again at midday. You know why she came to the well at midday instead of in the evening? Because she had five husbands. 
And the one that she had now wasn't her husband. So she didn't come when other women came to get water. She came in the most inconvenient time, the most painful time, the worst time of the day to get water because of her sin and her shame. And that's where Christ met her. And what Christ does is he convicts her of her sin. And then number six, and this is where we'll finish, man, he counsels her with compassion. He counsels her with compassion. And again, if we go back into the passage and, and we just kind of look at the, the, the verses that lead up to this, verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If thou knowest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would give thee the living water. And I want you to understand that Christ counsels her with the offer of a free gift. Man, here is something that is, that is so significant. It is the gift of God, and all you have to do is ask for it. Verse 14, he says, Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Verse 25, the, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he's come, he will tell us all things. I mean, she's kind of like, okay, this dude's reading my mail, man. Who, who, is, this? who is this dude? He, he's Christ. He says in verse 26, Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And I want you to understand that what Christ offers her is a free gift. In her sin and in his compassion, he's willing to offer her eternal life. Three things, these aren't in your notes, but if you're still taking notes, these may be worth writing down. Number one, he offers her a gift for whosoever. He offers her a gift for whosoever. And man, that's the power of what Christ is able to give us through his son, Jesus. What God is able to give us through his son, Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 2 and verse 21, it says, It came to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Acts 10 and verse 43, when Peter is dealing with Cornelius, it says, To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, through Christ's name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive the remission of sins. Even a woman at a well with a history and with a present that's less than proper. Compassion is available. A free gift of salvation is available, and it's available to anybody. To anybody, it's for whosoever. Number two, it's a gift for those who ask. I mean, he tells us in verse 10, hey, if you really understood this free gift, you would have just asked the one that's able to give it. See, God is a gentleman, and he's not going to just impart himself onto you without your permission. In other words, God, God in his sovereignty has enough room for your free will to choose or reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. You ought to ask for it. It's a gift for those who ask, Christ, would you give me this living water? Would you, would you give me this eternal life? And then number three, it's a gift with an eternal effect it has an eternal effect in our life because it's everlasting. Man, God, God gives us in John 4, and you can close your Bibles and, and maybe take some more notes, whatever, it doesn't matter. I got some other stuff, but, but, but listen, man, what God gives us in John 4 is just the must of multiplied ministry. This is what we must do. This is what you must do as a disciple of Jesus Christ. It is the purpose of, that you exist. 
And I know that's hard to hear as Laodicean Christians. Because Laodicean Christians focus on nothing else but themselves. And I'm one of them. And so are you. God says we have to get our eyes off of us. We have to go through Samaria. We have to see the world. We have to complete the mission that God has given us. And I'm telling you, listen, we just don't have much time. And if the rapture came today, many of us would sit in this room. We would be with the Lord then, but man, we would have regret. We would have regret because we knew that our Father called us to work in the field. And maybe we even said, yeah, Lord, I'll go. And we never went. And God's calling his church, God's calling this church to be about his business. We must do it. And we must do it now. Does that make sense? Okay, let's pray together. Father, we need you this morning, God.